So, wisdom or no escape. Like I just said, that book may be interpreted in a lot of ways, but the way I like to hold it is that the great wisdom of no escape is how can you escape from something that's not real. Yes. So actually, the movement of escaping or trying to get over or transcending is part and parcel of believing what's not real. Obviously, there would be no drive to escape from something if it was seen not to be real. Yes? But the dilemma is, its effects seem to be real to us. So the effects convince us of its reality, in a sense. So the dream can be held as a dream mentally, but on another level, it seems real as real to you and to me because it's having effects. Yes? Like the wind, the weather can change and there can be a cold that occur. You can get the flu, someone can hurt you, someone can leave you and really emotionally unwind you. So by its effects, we give it a sense of reality. But the, its effects are determined by your reality, in a way. If the dreamt object is taken to be me, then the dream will affect it greatly. Yeah. Why? Because dreamt objects affect each other here. That's what gives them reality. Yeah. I can cause you pain, so I'm real to you, in a sense. And you can feel pain from this world, so it, you're real to that. Yes. So the world is as real as I am. Now, one of the dilemmas is, is when there's a recognition I'm not that, its effects keep happening. Yeah. So it's like a bumper car. The car keeps bumping into other cars here. Even when there's a recognition I'm not that, it still has its own realm of experience. There'll be mental experiences and physical experiences. So it confuses someone when there's still an idea of being this. Yeah? Because they're still having effects, so it seems real to you. And there's a belief that it has to become unreal, where you have transcended all of its effects for you to be awake. That's a lie. This has its own reality, in a sense. It's real in the dream. The dream continues. It's not like uh, an hallucination in a way. It's more like a mirage. So when you have a mirage, you see someplace, and there's a sense of water being there, and you go there, and there's no water. But when you leave, you still see the mirage. It's an optical illusion. So there's a sense that it's not real because there's no water, but the appearance is still happening. So in a way... This appearance is going to happen, and it's going to be influenced and affected by other appearances. Yes? But you were never that appearance. So why would your nature be beholden to its being affected or not? Yeah? You were never this appearance, so why is your true nature being held ransom, basically, by its effects or not? So a lot of people still think they're still holding, they're still waiting for a mythical moment to ensure them that something has happened. Yeah. But in fact, what I am has never happened, nor will it ever be experienced. It's just entertained. So the mind entertains its own nature by recognizing the natures that it isn't, in one way. So it sees this, and like a great Zen master said, Hawaiian Po, says, whatever you can perceive, cannot perceive, yeah? So whatever you, whatever this mechanism can see, hear, feel, taste, touch, and think about is not that, yeah? So the whole point for me in the wisdom of no escape is to recognize there's nothing to escape from, and there's a peace in that, yes? All the struggling subsides, the need to be liberated is dropped, and then there's finally an acceptance of being what you are, because you're not. As long as you believe you're this, the mind's going to find fault in it. No matter how many times you get to look like I've arrived, it will find some fault in it. You're always going to be viewed like an urban renewal project, and it's never going to be completed. As long as you believe that you're this, there'll never be an acceptance of it. But when you recognize I'm not that, that is the activation of acceptance for it.
This is finally let to be exactly what it is, which is it isn't you. But it has a, it has a sense of reality here. And now it goes about its business, but there's a traveling lighter in it. But if there's an identification as this, there'll never be any peace as this. Because this will never be approved of by all that mind. Yeah? There'll always be something lurking, yes? So this lady the other day called me up and she talked for a few minutes and finally it brought down to one point. She says, Some, I believe something's happening to me and I think it could be different. Yeah? This is one of the bottom lines of all selfing. Yeah? That something's happening to me as this and I think it could be different. I don't really take action to, you know, maybe to change it, but I think it could be different. So while it's happening seemingly to me, my mind will be thinking it could be different, but not changing anything. So it's demonstrating its total powerlessness, yes? Something's happening to me, and there's something I don't like about it. I think it could be different, but nothing's changing. There's just thinking about, I really believe this could be different. Now, if, it really, if you really believe it could be different, and then you apply the way you know and get everything done, thinking, and it doesn't bring about a result, what is the sense? Powerlessness. Yeah? You're frustrated. You're pissed off that people aren't doing what you want. And let's say you have an extreme case of self-centeredness. Yeah? Your mind is identified as being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And the selfing is the obsession that it does around that point to reinforce its relevance. Yeah? So let's say, like when I was young, I was six years old, my father got ill. He got very ill. And my father was playing with me baseball and hanging out. And suddenly he stopped playing with me because he was too ill. So I'm sure my mother and maybe the doctor and other people came and sat me down and said, Listen, Paul, your father's ill. That's why he's not playing with you anymore. Yes? And they may have brought out tons of facts to convince me, Hey, Paul, your father is ill. That's why he's not playing with you. But in my little head of self-centeredness, I believed I must have done something for my father not to want to play with me anymore. Yeah. It overrode anything that was said, no matter how much therapy if my family had believed in therapies that they would have given me. The bottom line, I believed I was at fault. Yes? I was at fault somehow. My father's not playing with me because of something I did or didn't do. Now, that's just an example of one of the primary conditions of a mind and self-centeredness. Let's say you hear these, these beautiful statements of all there is is love and beauty and peace, and yet your experience here is that's not so. You're not having much peace. You're just tons of people getting murdered and raped in Africa and all this stuff goes on, yes? But you hear these ideas of, oh, everything could be wonderful and this and that, and yet they're not. So let's take that little modality of self-centeredness. So now they talk about unity and love and perfection, and yet you're experiencing separation. Yeah? Your mind, on one level, a very deep level, believes it's the cause of this separation. Yeah? That you have an inherent guilt here, that all the guilt and shame you experience here is just a way of trying to cover that initial guilt up. Because when you see shit happening, and there's a sense that you're, nothing, you're not doing anything about it, that you must have caused it. It's sort of like the iron ball in everyone's gut, or the initial contraction of selfing. In the Course in Miracles, they would talk about it, that, yes, there's this idea that all there is is God, and God is love, and all-powerful, and all-knowing, but the experience is not so for you, and you believe you must have separated from God. You know? I was with a guru for five years when I was young, and the dilemma I had with him was, when I met him, his followers told me he was the Lord of the Universe. Yeah. Pretty powerful little statement. The Lord of the Universe. Coming to Earth in a body. So, okay. I heard this a lot. And then, and then I didn't like the Lord of the Universe. Yeah? I was a follower. I was meditating. I liked the meditation, but I didn't really like him. I didn't feel anything special in him. So let's put it together. He's the Lord of the Universe. I don't like him. What does that make me? <laughs> 
pretty, 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 pretty bad character. Yes? This discomfort I had with this teacher for five freaking years, I couldn't leave him because I thought he was the Lord of the Universe. <laughs> what would happen if I left the Lord of the Universe? That would be like worse than going to hell. <laughs> it's the most extreme self-centered fuck I've ever had, man. I was with him for five years wanting to leave him. But like every time I see my, my girlfriend was a big devotee, she'd run up front and I'd be way in the back. Jesus Christ. And I tried to kill him. I was planning on killing him, actually. <laughs> I was at this retreat. I was at a seven-day place, seven-day thing with him. He was in Florida. And in the day, he would drive around in an open car around the whole camp, you know. He lived, he must have been in a super hotel, but we were tending out there. And uh, I had been getting loaded again, so I had a little vial of Coke. That was my security the whole week. I never did it, but I had some right there. In my little, I had some jean overalls. <laughs> so one day he's driving around the vehicle, and I said, you know, I was just going crazy. I just, oh, so I said, if I, you know, I was joking around with, I said, if I shot him with like a delayed dart, that wouldn't take effect to about 75 yards down the road, they'd never know it was me. There's thousands of people along this little dirt road. He got hit now, but then he died. Then how would they, <laughs> I say, I've got to get relief from this. This is self-centeredness. No matter what you do, no matter how many people you blame, inevitably you're the one that's blamed. You're the one that has the initial, all the guilt there is. That's why you're blaming everyone else. You're trying to dump it. You're trying to get a little relief by saying you're at fault, but deep down, yeah, there's this denial of that, and then all of this seems real. So... Something's happening to me, and I think it could be different. When you were three years old or four years old, I wasn't in an abusive situation, but when I was playing, I would see in hindsight why I enjoyed playing so much, because my mind wasn't entertaining other po any other possibility. Yeah. I didn't have, I wasn't worried about will I be playing next week, because I had, didn't have a concept of time yet. I didn't know there was going to be a next week. My mother was super fat and ugly, let's say, but I loved her anyway because I had no idea of beauty and ugliness yet. Yeah? So I had no mental option that things could be different, so they were pretty much okay. I wasn't worrying, you know, I wasn't walking through the rooms of the house finding fault in the rooms. Hey, these are too small, you know. Why is this not the, this rug is cheap? Where do they get that? No, I didn't need gap clothing on. I didn't need sunglasses or special hats. I'd rather around, run around naked, yeah? I didn't have to meditate. I didn't have to take workshops. Yes, because I didn't feel like I was apart from When they had pictures of me and my family, I looked like a little cherub with the whole family. And then after a few years of introspection, they'd have pictures of me with the family, and I'd be looking at my mother suspiciously. The, all the separation started. As soon as the sense of being a self, because there is consciousness here, there's a sentience, and there's a sense that something's on. So one of the initial questions is, who am I? Yeah? Or what am I? But the mental process gave you an answer. I am this. This long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Then the identification, the mind bonded with the body, becomes you. You're the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. So here's conscious contact all day. I'm seeing, hearing, feeling, and of course I'm not. This is the language. Language is a subjective language used by objects. We're dreamt objects right now, all of us in this room. And yet we're using a subjective language. I'm the doer, I'm the haver, I'm this, yeah? So here's conscious contact, the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling, and I witness thoughts like I see a bird fly by a window. My eyes were looking out there, I'd see it. My head made me say, I don't want to see it, but I see it. Because conscious contact, it comes prior to you. So there's conscious contact, and then conscious contact is the act of consciousness happening through the body. Yeah? So consciousness is coming through the body, and it's having contact with the world. It's seeing it, hearing it, feeling it, tasting it, touching it, and thinking about it. Yeah? So consciousness is coming through having contact. So here is consciousness, and here you are as a body, which is more like 
you're like a camera, in a sense. Consciousness is light. It comes through the camera. Each camera is uniquely conditioned, has different old ideas and beliefs and all different tendencies. And all those wheels are in place, and the light facilitates that movie to occur. Yes? You as an action figure in a world. So you'll go certain ways, and I'll go other ways because of the conditioning of the body and the brain. Yeah. So here's consciousness. Consciousness is prior to the camera. The camera facilitates the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but it actually doesn't do the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Consciousness does it. It's sort of like the scientist looks out the, through the telescope, and the lenses of the telescope make up a perceptual hit as if the stars are closer. But if you actually looked at the event, the stars haven't gotten any closer. The lens allows the stars to be seen. Yeah? But the telescope isn't seeing the stars. It's the scientist that's seeing the stars. Yeah? So the scientist looks through the lens, and through that lens, it can have an experience of the stars that someone who doesn't look through the lens will not have. Yeah? So consciousness, in a way, is coming through this camera and having an experience of this place that without the camera, it wouldn't be having because, in fact, all there is is consciousness. But here, consciousness can appear to be different, so it now has it's in a realm of an experience. Yeah? So here's consciousness coming through this and projecting a world. Yeah? A reality, in a sense. A dream reality, but a reality to the dreamt object. There's never a point where this body becomes prior to the consciousness. There's no freaking way. Consciousness is this, yes? The mental process has said, I'm conscious. I'm the one. I'm the one that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. I'm the one who's thinking. I'm the one who has all these problems. I'm the one who has time. So its first move is to claim conscious contact, as I'm the one that's conscious contact. And its major modus operandi is claiming. That's all it does. Selfing, all its whole basis is claiming. Yeah. So the body now becomes my body. Time becomes my time. Past becomes my past. Girlfriend becomes my girlfriend. Problem becomes my problem. Thoughts become my thoughts. Yeah. As soon as the mind, or the act of claiming occurs, you are now are in a very strong mental interpretation about what's going on here, and it's not really acknowledging its primary denominator, which is consciousness. It's basically saying, I'm conscious. Yeah? And now the mind tells a story about this life based on you being conscious, and also because every story here is ruled by duality, you being conscious and you being unconscious. Yeah. So, consciousness is in and of itself only oneness, yes? All there is is consciousness without a second. But in this place of appearance, consciousness now can become conscious or unconscious. And that being conscious or unconscious is going to be based on what? You. And the consciousness now isn't a natural gift anymore, like when you were a kid. Now it's something you've got to do to get more of, or you can do something to lose it. So now consciousness becomes a value that your mind plays God with here, really. It separates consciousness, it says, I'm conscious, and then that becomes either unconscious or conscious based on what? Him or her. So this is the act of playing God. If you've ever read the recovery book, in the recovery book, there's a very important part, which is the third step. The third step is where you turn your will and your life over to care of something greater than oneself. And it says, the how and why of this whole program, which means that's a very comprehensive statement, how and why of something. I mean, it means the whole enchilada. So the how and why of this whole program is to do what? Quit playing God. Why? It doesn't work. If this isn't the description of playing God, I don't know what is. Consciousness here gets moved and you claim it. 
So the act of what we would call God or being is claimed by you. <laughs> the mental idea claims it, and now it plays God with, let's say, the verb of God, which is consciousness. Yeah? And it says, all right, I can get really conscious if I do this and I don't, and I don't do that, and I get practice and this and that. And conversely, if I don't do any of that stuff, I'll, be get, I'll get more and more unconscious. Yeah? Yet, in fact, all there is is consciousness. Every moment with this politrick is being played, with you, everything based on you, either your omissions or your committing, increase or decrease things, yes? All there is is consciousness. And that fact is being demonstrated every moment the mental mo process <coughs> is playing God. There's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and witnessing thoughts are occurring every moment. So, all the while this dance is going on, the love of a solution to it is always available at all times, with no requirement necessary to meet it. You've already fulfilled the requirement, you're conscious. You can be conscious of conscious contact, obviously. There's seeing before you became the seer. There's seeing before you became the hearer. There's seeing before you became the feeler. There's seeing before you became the thinker. There's seeing before every event that's ever been claimed, every non-event, every possibility, every impossibility, every speculation about what's not going to happen to you, and every memory about what did happen to you was preceded by seeing. Nothing could occur, nothing could appear here without the context of seeing it. Yeah? Because the seeing it is what makes it seem to appear. The seeing of it is what gives it the semblance of being real. Not it. It has no reality other than that it's been seen by an ignorant mind. That ignorant mind has seen false evidence, I'm not that, and it's appeared real to it. So I'm not, I'm this, and therefore all I'm not that is that, that too. For you to be relevant, the world has to be relevant. The world is as real as you are. You don't have to freaking try to get out of the world. Just recognize you were never in a self. So what occurs when that claiming gets established? What occurs is the mental realm becomes dominant. The mental realm now produces, by your entertaining it, physical effects. So you can have the physical experience of the emotion of fear with no threat occurring right now. Your mind can make up through anxiety, through worrying about what's not happening, it can produce the physiological effects of fear now. But it's a mental experience. It's not obviously an experience because it's not happening. Yeah. There is a place. What's not happening is the land of mind. Yes. What's happening is the antidote to that. If you recognize what's happening and you anchor in it, you'll have immunity to what's not happening. If you don't, if you don't, this here will not be a here for you. It will be a mental here. And that's the mental here that you want to get out of so badly. And the reason why, by you wanting to get out of this mental here, it covers up the other here, which is the solution. So your mind is attempting to avoid at all costs the solution by giving you an idea of what this here is, bookended by concepts of past and future. And if you've ever done dope, and you got to the point where you were going to be conscious for an hour or two, you would have done anything to get loaded. Because the last place you wanted to be was here. But the here was not here. That was the mental here the mind was producing. Because the solution was right underneath there. That's what occurs when you get into recovery. You finally stop trying to run away from the mental here, and you drop through its little paper mache floor, and you end up in the solution, which is here. 
They get us in that vicinity by a day at a time, but if your mind can entertain that and downsize the whole realm of time, and then it downsides even more to this moment, you drop through the paper mache here, and you drop into the here, and that's the immunity to what's not happening. You're present now. You're conscious. You're already conscious, so you become conscious of what's present. They say it's a higher power or the spiritual feeling or the Christ nature or the Buddha nature or whatever you want to call it, but there's something that's available here. Not in the mythical here and not in there and then, but here. Yes? There is something available. You'll sense it because why? You're conscious. As soon as that consciousness, unbridled by the identification and claiming of mind, takes out that middle man and middle woman and becomes conscious of consciousness, yes? That's your immunity to the bondage to self. You're relieved of the bondage to self. There's a great relaxation. You'll never, if you identify it as self, you could get eight super massages in a row. You'll never get close to this relaxation. Because you just drop out of that whole mental realm. And then you land right where you are because you're not. This thing is finally left alone. <laughs> you don't have this crazy mind sitting on top of it all freaking day, critiquing it, punishing it, flagellating it for, for its own pseudo-separation from wholeness. The body stopped becoming the whipping post, and now it can go on, and as it gets intuitive hits, it knows what's probably best for it. It, it can enjoy things here, it can taste great food, and there's all these qualities of living that we're missing. By being so much this, and being so guilty about that, <laughs> when you recognize you're not this, you can actually, in all intents and purposes, finally be it. You'll be more an individual by not being an individual than you've ever been by trying to be special all your freaking days. <laughs> It's the last way you think it happens. It really is. You're thinking you really want to get out of here. I really want to transcend this body. You know, actually, there's nothing to freaking transcend. What you're calling the last place, the last house on the left you'd want to leave, you may just totally accept it. Because why? It's not you. All the building permits are taken away, the urban renewal projects, the indefinite urban... It's like the war on terror. terror. It's never going to end. The indefinite urban renewal project, all the signs come down, and you can just be as you are because you're not. You can let this thing be as it is because you're not it. You'll never let it be as it is if you think you are. You'll always find fucking fault in it. There'll be some deep reason your mind's made up and spun it a long time ago and put a lot of forbidden doors around it and you'll never go there and the center of selfie will be pulsating right there. Vibrating all the way through all your life. And irritability wrestles and this and discontent constantly seeking, 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 seeking for the unbearability of what you're not. Instead of moving right in and realizing it was an empty space all along. It's like that old story with the snake and the rope. Yes, the guy has a... He's, he walks into his house one day and there's this big snake in the living room. Freaking huge, like a python, but with big teeth also. So he flips out. So he doesn't know what to do. So he closes all the doors and he closes the windows and tapes them. And he start, then he starts living in his house but never going near that room anymore. But he's constantly obsessed around the snake. Yeah, he's constantly thinking. And when people come over, they all, can never go near there. And his whole life gets dominated by this damn freaking snake. Yes? And then one, and tons of people come and say, No, no, you can't. There's a big fucking snake. And more and more, it gets more and more embellished. You know, every year it's a bigger snake. You know? Then one day a guy comes and says, Hey, I want to see the snake. And he said, No, no, no. Just seeing it will scare you out of your pants. You know? 
no, 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 let me see it. So he breaks through his hold and he opens the door. And he says, come here. And the guy goes, no, no fucking way. He says, get over here. And so he meekly comes over and he says, look at it. It's a rope. Yes? As soon as the guy sees it's a rope, yes? His whole life changes. And I'm telling you, once you see it's a rope, it never turns into a snake again. Never. Bye-bye. It never turns it in again. You see it once a rope, always a rope. Even if though it seemed like it was appearing as a snake, and my whole life was making that appearance real, it wasn't. It's like the same thing I used to share with the mall. I used to go to that mall when I was younger, 12 years old. I thought I looked pretty cool, you know. Checking myself in the mirror and those zits around as I walk out there. Roosevelt Field, Long Island. And I had this really cool outfit, I thought. Yeah? Red corduroy pants and a long sleeve gray shirt, t-shirt. And I had longer hair then, you know. And I, and I was getting a lot of acknowledgement. People were looking at me all the, while, all the time. I said, it's fucking working. Okay, every weekend I take the bus over there and walk around Roosevelt Field, basically. And after about three months, a guy, one of my friends, had some compassion on me. With, for me, and he said, listen, Paul, you know that uh, gray shirt? It's pink. I said, what? And he says, you know those red corduroys? They're magenta. What? As soon as he said it, I looked at it, and I saw it as pink and magenta. All the while I went home, every time I saw it, it was pink and magenta. I had seen it hundreds of times, calling it gray and red. But as soon as he educated me, I saw it as that. And when I put it away for the last time, I never would go back every few days and see if it was gray again. I knew it was pink and magenta. It only took one hit. That was that. Yeah? It's sort of like that. It may not play out like this now, but your head, that's how it happens in the head. If there's a, a sense of something resonating in you, or, or an unspoken yes, it's a done deal. It's just time that it will take. But the mind's woken up. It's recognized. It heard something in the invitation. It woke up. Now, it may, because this is like a movie of time and space, it may take a while to translate, but like Ramana Maharshi said, this great master says, your head is in the tiger's mouth. It's already a done deal. You know, it's already a done deal. You walked in. You shouldn't have come here, man. <laughs> That drive of specialness will be eroded, not from all the experiences of disappointment and rejection from the outside, but from an acknowledgement in the inside. They'll eat it away, and you won't even recognize it. There'll just be a day when that floor just drops, because there's all the little foundations have been eroded. The mind's waking up, yeah? Waking up to what? What's already so? All they need is, for me... All I needed was an invitation because the ability to entertain is already inherently so in your head. But what happens with us, we've been, the mind has become identified as this idea of a mental process called self, yes? And now, every time it entertains, it entertains as a self. And so its incredible ability to entertain is now defined by this very small frame called self-centeredness. So when it entertains being okay, it entertains of being okay in time based on something you do. So I will be okay. That's not okayness. Okayness is just an inherent state. But the way it gets interpreted through self-centeredness, I will be okay based on something I do or something else someone does to me. But I'm not okay now. That mind can be entertaining peace. If you're obsessed with self, it may be entertaining the length of your pants. Are they too short? Hours. You'll go home and it'll represent your day and you'll entertain it in every point of view you can have in self-centeredness, which is very limited. But your mind will go over every one of them and see what it would, what it, did it mean, if she said this, did it mean she likes me? She's going to marry me? She hates me? Thousands, just not even, 50 representations and then over and over again. That mind that's driving you crazy, if unleashed, it would be the peace that you're looking for. Because it has the ability to entertain anything that it comes in contact with. If it gets in contact with the truth, watch out. Because it can entertain that. And there's a difference when something is entertained that is actually true. It's got a lot more juice than this false evidence appearing real all day. 
But you've got to give yourself credit. You're a miracle worker. Everyone in this room is. Totally. All day. I always bring up the idea of Lazarus getting, uh, Lazarus getting brought back from the dead by Jesus, yes? Come forth, Lazarus, and then he came up. But see, Lazarus was at least once alive. You and I are bringing forth a lot of experiences out of nothing. We're thinking about what's not happening, like next Friday, and I'm producing in that, thinking of that, what's not happening. From a, a barren field, I'm producing a crop of anxiety. <laughs> Just for the basic raw info, that's a miracle. I mean, to bring something out of nothing all freaking day is pretty damn unbelievable. You're here. There is something that's called what's happening. And yet, most of us are experiencing the fruit of what's not happening. We're in what's happening, and the thinking of what's not happening is part of what's happening, but a very small part. But it can eclipse all the other parts and become the dominant part if you're up the ass of self. If you're identified as a mental process, as a product, you are, in, you are a citizen of the mental realm. So what's not happening is going to seem probably more real than what's happening. And it's definitely more important. You're going to think, you'll believe the future is much more important than now. Obviously, because you're not dwelling in now, you're dwelling in the future most of the day. So for me, the immunity to what's not happening is just obvious. It's recognizing it's not happening. Tell me what more do you need to do concerning what's not happening and recognize that it's not happening. Is there any more call to arms after that? It's just more of a... Wait a minute. You mean all these years I've been getting therapy concerning what's not happening? Yeah, that became what's not happening to the 10th degree. All right. Now you know why what's not happening is not happening. <laughs> it's like becoming a professor of holes, but you're still in holes. <laughs> Who cares? You know? It's like knowledge that becomes self-knowledge and avails you nothing. You, see, you remember, selfing claims everything. So let's say you get presented knowledge, even this knowledge, it will claim it, and then it will neuter it. Because like in AA it says, and it's a beautiful statement, self-knowledge avails us nothing. Why is that? Knowledge is so prized to you. Why is it that if you put the SELF in front of it, it avails you nothing? It doesn't lead to freedom from self. Because once the self claims the information, it neuters its message, which is, I'm not that. And getting out of self is, is another form of being in self. You, you take two years of classes of how to get out of self, that's being in self. So you can't escape here. There's no out here by trying to be in it. By trying to be in it and getting out of it, there's no out. There's no transcending. You can't transcend something that's not real. It's impossible. The only solution to an imaginary problem is that it's imaginary. That's why sit with fucking nothing for a change instead of getting something else. You're constantly looking for something all the time. To see how many somethings have you had? Thousands and thousands of somethings. When have you received nothing? Not for a while, probably. And I like nothing because you can't return it. There's no warranty. There's no guarantee. It's nothing. Your mind thinks there's no value in it. That's why I love I'm not that. Because it doesn't point to some great thing you are. It's just recognizing everything that's arising, I'm not. It doesn't claim what you are because you can't claim what you are. All you can do is you know the tree by the fruit, like Jesus says. So the fruit of consciousness is conscious contact. That's its being. That's its verbing. You'll know consciousness by the act of being conscious. That's the only way you can fucking know it. It's the most direct way. How can? Why do you want to study consciousness? I mean, you're in it. <laughs> Studying consciousness is like another another step of separation. All right, I'm going to study what it means to be conscious. You're conscious right now. Feel into it, sense it. Yeah. Once you stop, you stop. There's a presence in the room. You know, feel like an energy. Silence. The mother and father of all sounds. You know, context. 
dominates content. Most of us are looking for experiences. But what we are is in an experience. And it's not even a state. It's far, far something other than that. But it's always, always, always framing every content. So every experience is framed by consciousness. You can get a sense of that and it allows you to travel lighter through the experiences life has to offer you this time. Because maybe your destiny isn't going to change. Maybe you are going to get fired. Maybe you are going to have cancer. But you can travel lighter through those destinies. That's not that. And then against your own will you'll be available and be of service. Because you're present. That's the only way true service occurs here is in presence. We believe we're having an experience of presence when we get out of ourselves. But that to me isn't the case. When I was in, when there was an identification of self, that unbearability found a new solution in recovery by doing service. When I helped another person, I forgot myself. There's a great story by a guy named Sai who was a Sai P. He got 75% of burns over his body. Some gas can in his garage blew up. And, you know, when gas got in the air, it just combusted. And he got about 75, 80% third degree burns, really terrible burns. And he was in the San Francisco General, you know, lying in excruciating pain. And then one of the nurses came in and said, Hey, Sai, there's a guy here. I think he's an alcoholic. Would you like to talk to him? And Sai says, What are you crazy? Can't you see? I'm in fucking terrible pain. Leave me alone. But the call of something greater than himself motivated him to say, okay, bring the guy in. And the guy came in and they talked for two hours. And when the guy left, Sai realized he hadn't felt the pain for two hours. And then he called the nurse and he says, get every fucking addict and alcoholic you can find and bring him in the room. Because he found a solution. So a lot of us, something can be seeming so real and the last thing you would think of is to help someone else at that moment. But when, if you do, you'll get relief. Yeah? Like no matter what conditions, I've done these things for like 19 years, whatever these things are. And I've shown up to a meeting like this in you know, every type of condition you can be in. Totally morally bankrupt. And my fairy princess just broke the news to me five minutes before the meeting started. Being very ill, totally broke. Having done something bad to someone a few hours before, that was the worst. And yet I'd walk in and I was just willing to see what happens. And every time I batted a thousand because I never got up to the plate. Yeah. I realized clearly it wasn't me. So therefore it could go on. If it was me, there would have been reasons why it couldn't go on. That's why if it's about you, if your spiritual condition is based on you, you won't have a constant spiritual condition. Your head will tell you you've done something not to have it today. It plays God, even with your own nature. Yeah. So I showed up, and you just do this. And I got out of myself in AA. And I felt what? I felt available when I was doing service. You get that sense of being a little bigger and lighter. And then they said, you'll feel a presence. I felt that presence that we call a higher power. But then I'd go back into the same mental modality, and then it would be the self would get unbearable. I'd do more service, and then I'd feel available again. Like I did a, I remember I did an H&I, a hospital and institution place at Azanam, which is a very low-rung detox. And some days I was not in great shape when I went there, but after 12 minutes I'd be crying with gratitude. The power of the, the magic, you know. Like in recovery, it says the fifth tradition, a loving God will express itself through our group conscience. Well, that's what it would do. If we were all a bunch of assholes, it would still can still create a sweet perfume, the presence of what's living here. So there I was doing service and get feeling available and sensing a presence, but always going back into my reality of selfing. And then one time it occurred, and I something happened. The emphasis of my attention shifted from Paul, the selfing, to the presence. So when Paul appeared, it was like 50% color, yeah? My attention wasn't making it seem so real, and I was in the sense of being present, being that. And then what occurred, started to dawn on me, the presence, if I'm that, 
I'm always available. Always available. And if I'm always available, that's being of service. You can't be more of service than being available and present. <laughs> so now, that presence being like an end result of an experience of doing and having called doing service now became a state that I was. Yeah. What a fucking way to go. Yeah, Something that was very infrequent based on you now is that it's removed out of that and it becomes always so at all times. <laughs> I like that managing a lot better than having it be very infrequent and based on me than always available at all times. <laughs> That's what the message is. <laughs> it takes it out of your court. It's not based on you, what you do and have or don't do and don't have. It's a fact. And every time you try to approach it as a you, you'll be stymied. And that's love. Because there'll be a, 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 hopefully a submitting or a surrender or an exhaustion. And then all the efforting you'll see came to naught. And the whole revelation is I need do nothing. The Course in Miracles, they have a big thing about this. They use the word I need do nothing. They say, listen... Every mind here is mind. There's never, uh, there's never has been or will be an unwakened mind. It's always so. Yeah? But here we're in a dream and we believe we're the dreamt object and we're playing it out here. So what happens is, let's say you meditate. It's probably inevitably going to work, but it's probably going to take a lot of time. Maybe contemplation, a lot of time. Maybe karma yoga, you know, taking actions, doing a lot of service. Inevitably, that mind will come to its own senses, yes. But why not speed up time? Instead of having to do 30 years of practices to get to the revelation of I need do nothing, why not start there? Why not start at the revelation I need do nothing? Who's going to say it can't be done? What, you're not? Who's going to say it couldn't be that easy? What, you're not? Are you going to judge the truth by false evidence or are you going to sense when you start traveling lighter radically and just shut the fuck up and go with it? It just can't be this simple, yeah? Why not? You fulfilled all the requirements, you're conscious. All you got to do is say, you don't need to know any more about the ocean. Just recognize you're not a wave. If you're not a wave, you're immediately the ocean. It doesn't take any process to become the ocean as a wave. Uh, it will never work as a wave. When you realize you're not a wave, that's the ocean. <laughs> then you'll have your whole living story of what it's like to be an ocean. You don't have to read about how it was like for others and have tons of concepts about what that means. You will sense it your own traveling. Well, here we are, we're at a meeting about the ocean, and we're sitting here as waves. <laughs> and being a wave is the act of denial of the ocean. It has to be. If you weren't denying the ocean, you'd realize you're the ocean. And then you'd probably travel lighter as the appearance of the wave. It doesn't mean the appearance stops. Ocean appears as waves many times, thousands of times a day. But does it become a wave and a wave alone? No. It's ocean. The dominant nature, this ocean, wet. So I don't, I don't care. I don't want to read another book about describing how wonderful the ocean is. I just want to see I'm not the wave. It's much faster to me. <laughs> because an ocean, a wave trying to understand the ocean is the greatest way to be a wave. <laughs> Seriously. It's the immunity to all wetness. You'll be reading and you'll know all these great things, but there was a no, you won't be traveling wet. What's the point of knowing about the ocean? Just see if you're a wave or not. If you're not a wave, there you go. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I thought it would feel like an ocean. Thank God it doesn't feel that way. That would still be your head playing God. Oh, I thought I'd be out of my whatever. Who says that? Anything has to happen to you physically and mentally.
something very simple. Consciousness, the five fingers of consciousness, the five doors of consciousness, the body, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and witnessing thoughts. The body and your mind never becomes prior to that. There is no way in hell you are what's conscious as this. take this eye out, and let's hopefully you wait until I'm dead, let's say I'm dead, and you take this eye out, and the lenses are fine, you put it in a light body, it's going to see. Why wasn't it seeing in this body? Because this body didn't have any consciousness left, yes? It wasn't manifesting through it. So the lenses weren't able to see, because if they need light moving through them, the light of consciousness is what makes up this appearance going through the lenses of this apparatus. Without that, all the lenses can be in perfect health and there's no seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, or touching. Not one experience ever. Something enlivens it. Something is giving you this, not giving you. It's the giving of this. Yet it's not affected by what's being given. The context is never affected by the content. The sky is never affected by whatever appears in it. No matter how many planes go through it, not one plane is radioing the tower saying, I just ran into a big chunk of sky. Yeah, It just doesn't happen up there. There's no, you can have July 4th explosions every day of the year and it wouldn't cut the sky open. No matter how much it rains, it never wetens the sky. Wetens? Never wets the sky. In other words, whatever appears doesn't have any effect on what it's appearing in. So, our mind is absorbed in and as the content, yet we're the context. That's the freedom. Not as this, but from this. There's no... Every freedom as this is conditional and circumstantial. Freedom from this is not conditional and circumstantial. It's not based on anything other than the nature of mind or consciousness. Yeah? That's why in recovery he says you'll know a new freedom and a new happiness. Not the old kind of freedom and old happiness. You'll have a new attitude and outlook. Not like an old out attitude that's revamped and, and you know, custom charged. No, a new one. A totally new way of looking. Yeah? A recognition that all ways of looking are blindness to seeing. Yeah? Becoming like that child again. And then wonder and awe will come just like it came when you were young. You'll be amazed at things just like you were when you were young. All these things that you felt were long, long lost and long ago are relevant, very relevant right now. It's just the way you're seeing. You're looking a certain way called self-centeredness. It blinds you to that. Yet you're looking incredibly hard for it, but you can't see it. Any questions tonight? No, I love that. I love when we're stunned into nothing.